1: Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Welcome everyone to episode 133 of the NBA Podcast. The Western Conference semifinals are set, so today we are going to preview both matchups, the Warriors Pelicans and the Rockets Jazz. Before we get underway, I wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews, we'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted now on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter, at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. We have a lot of content to push out today. We sure do, yeah. We're going to do the semifinals preview today, and then we are going to bring back our beloved Bafalicia segment tomorrow, where we discuss the four teams who got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, namely the Oklahoma City Thunder, Portland Trailblazers, Minnesota Timberwolves, and San Antonio Spurs. So- and now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance
0: when you bundle home and auto with Progressive.
2: Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what well man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff.
0: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Stay glued to our Twitter feed. You're going to have a lot of great content coming out in the next couple days. But Let's start more with Warriors Pelicans. I mean, I think we all expected the Warriors to be on this side, especially after they drew the Spurs, the injury-ravaged Spurs. The Pelicans, probably the biggest surprise in the first round. Just by virtue... I mean, I wanted to pick them, but I didn't because I'm a coward. But mm. by virtue of sweeping the Blazers, I don't think anyone reasonably expected that. So, Oh, no. I mean, we got to start with Stephen Curry, just because that's a big story for the Warriors. He is questionable for Game 1. We don't know whether he's going to play or not. They will update that at some point later today. But more when he does return... What do you expect from him right away? Do you think he's going to be either at or near 100% or do you think he's going to be a little bit rusty after this layoff? Well, a little
0: bit rusty, but, I mean, a little bit rusty for Stephen Curry is still better than 85% of the rest of the league. Right. So... <laughs> I if, think that that's even low. That That might even be low. So... My answer to that question really is, does it matter (laughs) in that sense? I mean, yeah, no, he'll still be a shooting threat. He'll still come in and you'll have to key your entire defense around him. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, Stephen Curry at just 50%, you need to be worried about all the time. And and I feel like the time off would be good for his legs. It would be good for him to come back and not really feel like the burden of his legs and feet or whatever. Because if Mm -hmm. he had been playing the entire first round or the late season regular games you probably would have been a little bit tired and fatigued Mm -hmm. and you know maybe he takes a couple of games to get accustomed to being back but i'll rather have that trade-off than i would have a tired stephen curry walking out there
2: yeah i mean it's you're right i think it is going to be a trade-off between you're right he's not going to have he'll have fresh legs but I think that that the day after that first game, he's going to be pretty damn sore. Uh, Joel Embiid had the same problem when he came back a couple weeks ago. He said you know, he had a three-week layoff instead of six, but he said he woke up that next morning and his entire body hurt. So (laughs) I think Steph is going to have that as well. Um, But we also, I mean, it was only a couple years ago that Steph missed some games in the playoffs, came back. He was fine. I mean, he, he looked good right away, but he never was... The full like a hundred percent version of himself really throughout that entire rest of the playoffs and mm. you know Warriors fans often point to that as part of the reason they ended up blowing that three one lead against Cleveland is because it was like you got ninety
0: to ninety five percent stuff instead of a hundred percent so I'm that's interested. fair though like that's yeah. fair because what that series was decided in total by four points if I'm not mistaken like I think. The Cavs outscored Golden State by four points in the seven game series. Mm-hmm. So, being an additional five to 10% better, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. that would probably make the difference. So, yeah, call Dubs fans.
2: So, I'm, I'm interested to see how he looks. I mean, you're right. He's like, he's got to be a shooting threat no matter what. And just having him on the floor will help Golden State's spacing. Um, but I am interested to see whether he is full strength, Steph, or just. You know, needs a couple games to shake off the rust. It may not matter because you know the Pelicans, to their credit, did a hell of a job shutting down Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in the first round against the Blazers. Steph and Clay are uh, they level up? This is like you know mm-hmm. when you're in a video game, you just went to the next boss battle. This is oh yeah, this is the the frankly for the Pelicans probably their final boss battle. So how do you expect that matchup to play out, Mort?
0: Well, I expect Drew Holiday to keep going at everyone essentially as aggressively <laughs> yeah. as he did in the first round. And I do think that Steph being, you know, not a hundred percent is going to to have Drew smell some blood. Yeah. I, I definitely think he's gonna be keyed in on Steph immediately. And it will be interesting to see because let's be honest for a second. Damian Lillard is is kinda like Steph. He's not as yeah. dynamic but like he he takes a lot of the similar shots, like coming off a screen at thirty feet away from the basket, like that's a pull up. Right. That's that's the same with Steph. Their playing style is somewhat similar, and Drew just found a way constantly to be in Dame's space. Like he would mm. just take away the right hand on drives, so he couldn't get to his floater. He would continuously rotate at the at the appropriate time. He would pick him up in weird angles and just make life hell on the you know his shooting angles. Mm-hmm. I could see that sort of be the same thing with Steph. And here's the kicker, and here's what makes it interesting. Klay Thompson, as an on-ball creator, mm-hmm. is not as good as CJ McCollum as an on-ball creator. We saw CJ take on more of an offensive role in terms of creating his own shot, because mm-hmm. that was necessary. That was out of necessity. And to his credit, like CJ had a decent series. He shot 52% from the field overall. 42 from 3, 25.3 points a game. Like, that's not a bad offensive output. Mm-hmm. So you had... He, he was able to step up as that secondary scorer who could create. Can Clay do that consistently? Like, I know that he's gotten better. He has as right. an on-ball on ball guy. But he's not on the level of McCollum in that department. But as a standstill shooter, he's like 3,000 dimensions better. So you have to gauge... What do you want to do? Do you want to force the ball into play's hands a lot more by taking it away from Steph? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's probably doable, but the but the Dubs have one thing that <laughs> Portland certainly don't. They have a Kevin Durant that you can right. then pass the ball to, or a Draymond <laughs> right. Green who can set up the offense, right? Yeah. So there are some outlets there that's just going to make it a lot more difficult. I I'm just expecting Drew to keeping Steph not in check because nobody keeps Steph in check, but I just, I think he's able to maybe turn it into a zero sum, like the output that drew has offensively and defensively Mike. And with the fact that Steph is not a hundred percent, they might actually cancel each other out. That's like the best case scenario for that matchup, by the way. But yeah, if he does that, that's pretty positive, right? I mean,
2: if you're the, Pelicans, until Steph shows that he is full strength, I don't even know that you necessarily put Drew on him. I think you put Rondo on him. Because here's the thing about this matchup compared to the Blazers matchup. Mm. The Blazers, Willard's listed at 6'3", McCollum's listed at 6'3". So for the the Pelicans, Rondo's 6'1", Drew Holiday's 6'4", Etuan Moore's 6'4". They match up pretty well size-wise with those guys. Yeah. Now you go to the Warriors. Steph is six three, Clay is six seven, yeah. and then you got KD who is you know listed at six yeah listed at six nine, but he's actually seven feet. So you need bigger bodies to throw at those guys. Whereas you know the the Blazers' backcourt's a little bit smaller, yeah. so the Pelicans' lack of wing size is less of an issue. Now I'm not saying Drew Holiday is not going to get some possessions on Steph. I think with all of these guys, you know, there's gonna be a primary cover, but you're gonna see, you know, Drew will take some possessions on Curry for sure, especially if they switch on to him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think that's gonna be one of the really the keys to this series is the Warriors have the size to really give the Pelicans trouble. And as you said, more, you know, the <laughs> the Warriors have a Kevin Durant. And like the the Pelicans were starting a six four one Moore as their starting small forward in that first series. Like, who
0: who do they have against Kevin Durant? Or do they have anyone? Uh, they'll probably go Mirotić. Not that that'll end well, but, like, right. Nico has some length. Yeah. And, like, he's not a total slouch defensively. I don't know why no. he's ever gotten that reputation. That's wrong. I mean, Lord knows I've followed the guy for a long while. I mean, <laughs> look... I followed this guy religiously when he was at Real Madrid, when the mm-hmm. Bulls had his draft rights for, th- for three seasons. This dude can be a, tr- a difference maker defensively. The thing is, he's just more of an offensive-oriented player. But when he puts his focus on defensively, I mean, he's good. He's not cancel out Kevin Durant good, but mm-hmm. he can make it a fight. But going back just briefly to the Drew thing, do you feel at all it would be kind of a disservice not to put Drew on a primary ball handler because I feel his defense is strong enough to be able to kind of limit ball handlers? Whereas if you put him on clay, I sort of feel you waste some of that defensive flexibility that he has.
1: I yeah, kind I of just... want
0: the best defense out of Drew, and I think you get that on a ball handler, like the more effect, impactful defense. But then you're putting a six-one Rondo on a six-seven Clay. I'll live with it though because he's primarily a spot up shooter, right? Uh, yeah, Toronto is long armed
2: as well. Yeah, like, it's not going to make up for a six inch height discrepancy.
0: No, no, no. Obviously, I mean it's a clear disadvantage. I'm just yeah. looking at the layers of it, and I, I, I would just if I'm sitting there and I'm seeing Drew, who is the most versatile perimeter defender, you know, on mm-hmm. the Pelicans. Yeah. I would just I would kind of feel that he did not. Not that he did not put the effort in, because obviously he will, but mm-hmm. I would feel I wouldn't get the most out of it if I placed him on a guy who primarily spots up.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point, and I think that's going to be one of the tough decisions for Alvin Gentry, along with, you know, just really, just how do you cope with their size at every position? Mm. Um, most most notably the backcourt and with KD. I mean, obviously Anthony Davis is a little bit, I mean, he's a mismatch problem of his own, which right. we'll hit on in a minute, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. And, like, you know, I expect Solomon Hill to get some time off the bench on the KD assignment. Ian Clark, um, you know, he's going to get some time too. But they really, I mean, we've said for a while now that the Pelicans have one of the worst wing rotations in the NBA. Mm. This is the matchup where it's going to come to bite them in the ass.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Then, I mean, then you could maybe make up for it a little bit because you you have AD who's probably mm-hmm. going to guard JaVale. That's not a big threat. Like or, or even if he he guards Draymond, I mean Draymond is not a high volume scorer. Mm-hmm. So if you can sort of hide Davis in a as is like use him primarily as a help defender around the mm-hmm. basket and he can take possessions off defensively because he's guarding not that important players, right? Then you can assert him even more offensively to maybe yeah. tip the scales just a little bit i mean yeah. he came in what averaging i don't have i have i don't have the stats pulled up but i didn't he average like 33 points 31 33 points in the first round series against? yeah thir- 33 points in 12 rebounds. yeah right which is ridiculous but yeah. that's an aside he would need to do similarly against golden state yeah and he, uh, look as much as i love draymond and as much as i think to is a hidden gem those two guys probably cannot contain Davis. And if you right. rest his legs and just go tell Davis get forty. <laughs> just go get forty. I don't care if you mm-hmm. you know if if you take possessions off defensively, just go get forty. Yeah. I mean, then that might be the way to do it. I looking at the matchups, I don't think defense is going to be the primary weapon for the Pelicans anyway. Not this year. Oh, they no. need to they need to outgun them honestly, which is Never a good plan against the Dubs, but I think that's their own strategy. And you just mentioned Ian Clark. Mm -hmm. I find that addition by the Pelicans pretty pretty timely Mm -hmm. because he was there just last year. Oh, hey guys, look what I can tell you about these Dubs. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're
2: right. I think it is going to just basically be the Warriors are going to get their points and the Pelicans have to match, but... You know, look at look at that first round production. Mm. They had 33 from Brow. They had almost 28 from Drill. Nico yeah. had 18. Rondo had 11, 13 assists, seven and a half rebounds. Those are their only four yeah. scorers in double figures. Each one were was fifth with 7.5. So I think you're right, Mort. Like they're going to need more. You know, they're they're big four if you want to call them that. All played very well against the the Blazers and help fuel that upset but they're gonna need more from guys like each Moore, Ian Clark Darius Miller Solomon Hill like if they don't get that they're there this is gonna be a very quick series yep so more when before we move on what's your prediction for this series dubs
0: in six I want to give oh, yeah. I, I don't yeah I look I I don't think New Orleans is just going to sweep the Blazers. The Blazers are a good team. Like, I don't think they just run through the Blazers and don't put up a fight against Golden State. Yeah. Six games.
2: I'm going Dubs in five. The
0: fact, I mean,
2: I'm assuming Steph plays, if not in game one, I'm assuming he plays game two Mm -hmm. because the NBA – uh, I don't want to say they rigged the schedule because that's not true at all. Like they, This schedule is very advantageous for the Warriors. They have a game Saturday. I think game two is Tuesday and then game three is Friday. So they get two days off between games one and two and two days off between games two and three. So even if Steph misses game one, he gets another three days to recover. And then like you know he, he gets more time than usual to get mm-hmm. back into the swing of things, which I think is going to help them a lot. And you know we the Warriors did not play all that well against the Spurs. Like it, it was probably a C effort because they knew they could get away with it. I think they're going to respect the Pelicans a lot more than they respected the Spurs, and I, I think we're going to see a much more focused Warriors team. See, so, I'm not so sure about that. You know I think,
0: think I think the Warriors are just arrogant enough to not realize <laughs> what the Pelicans just did. That's that is very possible, but. I don't
2: know. With Steph back, they were just a completely different team. So that is true. So, uh, yeah. I'm but going Brow on. is still Brow. That's why I am saying true. six. I yeah, mean, I know. Dude. It's fair. It's fair. I just I have the KD thing. I have no idea how they stop. If they slow him down, you very well could be right. But I don't know. I could see them limiting the backcourt a little bit. I don't know how they stop KD. He's going to feast. Mm. So Yep. Um, all right, let's flip to the other side of the Western conference bracket, which just got solidified last night. The Utah jazz finished off the OKC thunder solidifying their matchup with the Houston Rockets who KO'd the Minnesota Timberwolves in five. So more, this one, again, it's, it's much like warriors pelicans. There are some serious mismatches on both sides of this series. I would say, um, The first issue for Utah is Ricky Rubio. He strained his hamstring early in game six against the Thunder, was immediately ruled out for the rest of the game, which does not seem to bode well for his availability for game one. We don't know when uh, he's supposed to get an MRI at some point today. I don't believe, at least as of yet, the Jazz have announced anything, but I'm assuming he's going to miss at least game one, if not more time. Um so how big is his absence
0: going to be? It's going to be pretty big because he's a, he's always been a defensive asset and he's always been a playmaker. This year he's begun shooting the three ball at a higher clip. Losing that is is pretty big. Mhm. The I was actually looking at some stats recently and only Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio were unassisted on le- less than 50%. Like everyone else were assisted on more than 50% of their made field goals. So that means that the entire Utah Jazz team is much reliant on being set up. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mitchell and Rubio are the two guys who can, more, Mitchell more so than Rubio, obviously, uh, can create their own offense in some capacity. Mm -hmm. If you take Rubio away, that leaves Mitchell. Yeah. And that's just Mitchell. Everyone else needs to be set up at a much higher rate. Like fair, you can give the ball to Joe Ingles a little bit more. Yep. He's a fine playmaker. He's a wonderful passer, but I don't think he mimics the Rubio lack the lack of Rubio to the same extent. I, I he can't mimic Rubio. Yeah, um, like he was a perfect complementary passer to Rubio. Like he was the guy who, if you can, if you if there was a term like secondary playmaker in that t- that term, like that would be him. He was a guy mm-hmm. who could set everyone up as the secondary option. You take that away, who that who does that become now? Like Donovan Mitchell, and yeah. that's fine in a like, but he, you need him to score. You need him to be the shooter, right? Like he took twenty four shots a game against OKC out of damn near necessity.
2: <laughs> right, right. I mean, you're probably gonna get to see a little bit more Dante Exum. Uh, Alec Burks got some dusted or got dusted off after the Rubio mm-hmm. injury, so I I would expect more of him too. But yeah, I mean, that's what. When Rubio got hurt, they gave it to Ingles, and they were they said, "You're now our pick and roll playmaker. Make something happen." And then, yeah. you know, Donovan Mitchell also was just incredible, especially with his finishes around the basket. But oh yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm For sure. with you. I mean, it's you know, when you're when you're going up against Chris Paul and James Harden, that's a like Rubio is a pretty good defensive player. That's you know, that's a huge pro that that could have you know CP3 and Harden. We're always going to have the advantage over Rubio and mm. Mitchell, but that swings even the pendulum even more in favor of Houston. So, hopefully, Rubio will get back quickly and you know that make this a competitive series. But I feel like without him, the Jazz are in some serious trouble.
0: Oh, they are. I mean, <laughs> there's no question. Uh, I I do think that it will take a game. Yeah. I mean, look, Donovan Mitchell. I'm sorry, he's just too damn good yeah i agree and and i just can i just say something real quick about mitchell here this was kind of what i was been alluding to the entire season when i went back and forth in regards to the rookie race because i was always talking about his impact like what I, you know in, in roy in rookie of the year conversations we always get bogged down on statistics mm-hmm. whereas i was looking at look at the value who presents utah like mm-hmm. this first round just Proves what I was trying to say. Like, he's invaluable to this Utah of Jazz offense, which, like, yeah. remove Mitchell from the equation. Oh, my God. That would be the worst shit show I've ever seen.
2: Right. Like, they can't yeah. score without him. No. Often. Like, like, I mean. At all. Yeah. 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 No, I, you're right. I mean, they're, when he struggled toward the end of game, uh, game five, that's that plus. Uh, Rudy Gobert getting in foul trouble. That allowed the Thunder to come back from that massive 25-point deficit. And, you know, again, in Game 6 toward the end, the Thunder sliced down a double-digit lead, tied the game toward the end of it, and then, you know, Mitchell really hit... I mean, God, that third quarter last night, what, he had like oh, yeah. 22 points?
0: 22 points. Made 10 I mean, straight shots, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was going God. like
2: shot for shot with Russ. Russ was equally yeah. ridiculous on the other end. And, you know, the Russ was well, basically doing... Well, I know. I, we'll we'll talk about Russ in a little bit, okay. uh, but but yeah, I mean, he Russ was doing what he was doing in Game Five, but in Game Six, Mitchell went, you know, shot for shot with him and mm. really kept the Jazz alive. So it, that goes into my next question. Where I, I think the Thunder series, that's where you really felt Andre Roberson' his absence. Oh, like if yeah. they had Roberson. Uh, with all due respect to Mitchell, he would not have, you know, maybe he would have gotten his 28 points, but he would have been far less efficient from the field. Oh,
0: absolutely. Like, so, Mitchell had a true shooting percentage of 55.5, 5, like, yeah. this series. That is just barely above league average. But, the, again, rookie, first, first time in the playoffs. Like, with Andre Roberson there, you could <laughs> right. probably shave 10% off of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. agreed. So, now Houston, I feel like, has
2: the guys, you know, I don't know that, if I'm Mike D'Antoni, I'm not putting James Harden on Donovan Mitchell. Maybe you do Chris Paul, but then you've also got a bunch of wings in Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker. We don't know about Luke Mbamute's status, I believe, but mm. you have to assume he might be back at some point this series. So He's they've more got, of a pseudo-big, though, right? Yeah, He's turned but, into more of a pseudo-big. But like they have the, the wing-slash-forward depth to really complicate Mitchell's life that OKC Mm. did not have so who do you think draws the primary assignment or do you think it's really just like
0: a full rotation of guys Oh, full rotation Look, CP3 is a good defender Mm -hmm. but I'm going to say this confidently because of Mitchell's size and because of his youth Mm -hmm. and because of his scoring prowess Mitchell would eat Chris Paul alive look at that look at that size look at the strength what on earth could CP3 do against Mitchell? Like the wingspan, the what? I, I don't even know what Mitchell looks at as his weight. Probably uh, 211. He's probably more 225, if anything. Like yeah. he's, he's a bulldog. Yeah. Like how does a six foot, 185 Chris Paul stop that?
2: Right. Answer well, is you don't. Really, <laughs> yeah. I think the answer is Quint
0: Capella is the one who stops it when you get close right. to the rim. But, that's, but that's, that goes into your second option. Like, that's yeah. that's a design. Right. Like, on an island? Forget about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think it wouldn't surprise me to see Ariza get the assignment in the starting lineup, but I'm mm. totally with you that they're going to just rotate. They're, that's what you need to do with all of these star scorers. That, that's been the... The way to you know solve LeBron James in the playoffs for a long time, you you need to throw a full cavalry of guys so they don't know what to expect on any given possession. Like the more you can sow confusion, the better. But if you're you know if you just have like with all due respect to Roberson, they would I think OKC would have just put Roberson on Mitchell the entire series, and I think Roberson would have handled that well. But short of like a first team all defensive wing. This is what you do. You you throw a bunch of different guys at him, really try to muck it up and you know, I, I think as I alluded to earlier, I think part of their design will be, alright, if if he does use his strength to overpower a Chris Paul or a James Harden, well, we have a Clint Capella. You know, he's not Rudy Gobert, but he's still a good defensive presence in the middle of our back or front court. So I think it'll be a team effort to guard Mitchell, but you know, if, if as you said earlier, Mort, if if Mitchell isn't going, I I don't know who else Utah has to really like favors is gonna he'll play well I think but yeah <laughs> you know it, it's they don't have the
0: firepower to keep up with Houston if mm-hmm. Mitchell is struggling no and you need more out of Jay Crowder than his yeah let me look that up forty five percent true shooting percentage oh my god <laughs> yeah that was just abysmal right. no I mean. I will say this, though. This is the perfect test for Houston, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. you're matched up against the league's best defense, yep. so you know that you're in for a dogfight when you're on offense because you're up against Utah. They're going to go through this series. They're going to come out on the other end because they're just too talented not to. Mm-hmm. But then if you meet Golden State in the Western Conference Finals, you're looking at them and you're going, we just went through Utah's defense. Right. We can go through you too because we have yeah. the offense as well. Like we, we can do that.
2: Yeah. So I that think actually that
0: has to be the thick big thing.
2: Yeah. That leads to my next question because I think in some ways for Utah, OKC okay, so was a great matchup, especially without Roberson, because the, you can kind of goad Russ into so many mid range shots, and like mm. you know, a lot of his strength is driving to the basket. You, you want him shooting three pointers as he did toward the end of game six and just airballed a couple of them. Um, like throughout the whole series, with Rudy Gobert in the middle of the paint, when they went to the rim, their field goal percentage went down significantly. Houston, meanwhile, you know, we, we talked about it in the Minnesota series. their number one in three points made and attempted throughout the regular season. They, under Daryl Morey, they have largely eschewed. That mid-range game with Chris Paul in the fold, you know they've they've incorporated a little bit more, but it seems like Houston's style of offense. Do you think that's going to
0: negate some of Rudy Gobert's impact defensively? Well, more the more threes that you take, it's just less chances for Gobert to contest those shots, right? So that's definitely going to play a big factor. The thing is, I mean, you need still need to get good looks. Yeah. The, the, there's a big misconception about Houston, and I see this frequently. People assume that Houston just jack up three point shots with no, I mean, no planning. <laughs> right. That's not how it is. They don't. They don't just take you know contested three pointers. If the three isn't there, they move the ball. Yeah. I mean, and if that means that they have to, uh, you know, make a drive or even enter it into the post, which we have seen on occasion that's that's what they do they've gotten smarter in terms of their shot selection they, they are no longer turning down free shots you know mm-hmm. and I think that was the big problem uh with uh, Golden State in, in in you know three four years ago like they were so keyed in on the three-point shot and then when KD arrived, a little bit before that actually, it was more like let's just take the open shot, whatever is given, because they didn't really develop Draymond into becoming like a legitimate three-point threat. Mm-hmm. So when they had him, you know, open at 16, it was like shoot it. Right. They just didn't. They realized it would be foolish of us to turn down free and open shots, regardless of where they're at. If they're at 16 feet, take it. If it's a if it's a three, take it. If it's a layup, take it. And I think Houston has grown a little bit more comfortable in taking those mid-range shots, basically out of necessity mostly, but adding Chris Paul, who will always take them and can hit them at a high rate, I think it opened up a little bit. I think Houston has matured in a way where they look at it and go, you know what, this is a tight playoff series. We cannot afford to just go three or die. Like That's not a mentality we can use. So if that means an open open ranger, let's take it so that approach i think is going to be the key aspect here obviously they're gonna could do everything in their power to avoid gobert mm-hmm. I, I think that would just be smart i mean clint capella cannot create his own offense in the posts to at least not against gobert right where he will be a major offensive asset so we'll see james harden i still feel can get away on on a few drives here or there because he's yep. so crafty yep And he's also
2: going to try to draw Like, that's your best offense against Utah is drawing fouls on Gobert. Yeah,
0: it is. I mean, absolutely. We'll see. I mean, it really depends on how the ball swings. It also depends on how Utah rotates out on the perimeter. I mean, Mm -hmm. we we, we go back on this all the time. Like, the best, and we can thank Seth Bart now for this one because he's right, the best three-point defense is not allowing the shot. Right. It's not, like, just get a hand up. Obviously, yeah. Like you need to, if the shot is is attempted, then you need to contest it. But that does that isn't the main main problem. The problem is allowing them. So you right. need to not allow those open threes. If Houston or sorry, if Utah can do that, then you'll be forced to find an alternative means.
2: Yeah, and I mean, part of the issue, like for Houston in that first round series against Minnesota, they took eighty eight shots per game overall. 43.4 of those were three-pointers. So almost half of their field goal attempts were from three. The second closest team, or the second highest team in terms of threes, mm-hmm. is Cleveland. Heading into game seven, at least, they have 33 attempts per game. So Houston t- took 10 more three-point attempts than any other team in the playoffs in the first round. They shot only 34.6%, though. Mm-hmm. So Harden shot pretty well, 38.5. Ariza was okay at 35 CP3 was below 30%. Eric Gordon was 30.2%. 30, 30. Gerald yep. Green was 30.8%. Like, they need those guys to actually hit those shots, or this three point heavy approach is not going to fare well. I mean, they, they were at right. 36.2% during the regular season. So, you know, almost two percentage points higher during the regular season. Now, which matters when you're on that kind of volume? Right, right. So mm-hmm. does Utah have, as you said, do they have the personnel to not allow so many open threes? I think so. I mean, they've got yeah. a lot of length in that starting lineup. Uh, it's just gonna be really interesting to see how both sides match up in terms of offensive and defensive approach because mm-hmm. I think a lot of Houston's offensive advantages, Will help negate Gobert and some of Utah's defensive strengths, whereas you know Utah, it really just comes down to Ricky Rubio, man. So yeah, let, like, let's he, he assume out. let's assume he misses at least games one and two. I think that's probably you know probably the best case scenario that Utah can hope for at this point. I I hope I'm wrong, but I just he's had hamstring issues already this year. He got ruled out so quickly that you know doesn't seem to bode well for his short-term availability so assuming he misses games one and two what's your prediction for this series more
0: oh man if he misses games one and two it's probably going to be a slaughter in the first two games and i mm-hmm. think that's going to carry some some momentum i also think after the first two games houston's going to be keyed in on golden state and yeah. that's when they flip that switch yep. going we don't care if it's like, theoretically, if it's the Charlotte Hornets in front of us or the Phoenix Suns, we are going to murder every team in front of us, and we're going to play, like, our A++ game from here on out and onwards. Yeah. So I think if they get the first two games without – if Rubio – and if Rubio's not there, they will get them. Um, then I just think they smell blood to a degree where they just go supernova to prepare yeah. themselves for gold, Golden State because that's the big test. Yeah. Uh, and if that happens, sweep. Probably. Oof. Yeah. But, he, yeah, that's, I mean, losing Rubio is, is just such a it's just a punch in the gut. I, I don't think, I think he's going to will his way back in some way. And I think that's going to be enough. I still hope that Utah takes at least a game.
2: Yeah.
0: Just to make it a series. I, I yeah. think this, this is a good one. I mean, and also, this would kind of help Houston a little bit. If they lose just one game against Utah here. They will have to be, they'll have one more game against a top notch defense that I think they will learn a lot from. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost like I hope that this series extended for the sake of Houston so they can just find so many different ways right. against a, a, an elite defense to go, okay, we learned this from this game. We know we can do this now. Like, that's a lot of data and a lot of knowledge you can take on to the Western Conference Finals.
2: Yeah, going, going after minnesota's paper mache defense it'll be nice for them to actually play a real one but exactly i'm I'm with you i I think it's houston and five it it sucks i feel like if utah if if you flip the opponents utah golden state and uh new orleans houston i think both series would be more competitive but i think Mm. um both both higher seeds have some major mismatches advantages here that are gonna punish the lower seeds so yeah I'm, I'm taking five here as well and we're going to get the western conference finals we have been expecting since basically october so that's at least worth celebrating all right mort before we sign off we have a couple of health updates on some of the guys we just mentioned in the rockets jazz series let's start with ricky rubio uh espn's adrian Wojnarowski reported he is likely to be out for 10 days with the hamstring injury he suffered in game six uh, against the Thunder, he said he could be back sooner based on how the rehab goes, but the Jazz are tentatively bracing to be without him for at least the next week. He's already been officially ruled out of Game 1, mm. but as we suspected, Game 2 is also probably a no-go, and then it's looking like even Games 3 and 4 are in jeopardy. So what we just said, without Rubio in Games 1 and 2, yeah. this is this is already looking bad for the Jazz does it alter your prediction? You you already had them as a sweep, didn't you? Yeah. Well,
0: maybe five games. I I yeah. want to give them five games. I'm just saying that a sweep could be a, a sweep could be a real possibility if Rubio misses the first couple of games. Yeah. So that just doesn't change anything. Unfortunately, here's hoping Lodano Donovan Mitchell just goes supernova instead.
2: <laughs> right. He's going to have to because Luke Mbamute, who we also mentioned, he's been upgraded from doubtful to questionable for game one. So it sounds like even if he doesn't come back for game one, the are rich be... get richer. Yeah. He's going to be back in the series, presumably earlier than Ricky Rubio. So like you more, I'm probably still going to stick with Houston in five, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I don't think his series goes any more than five and, uh, a sweep is at least in in the realm of possibility now, which yeah. sucks
0: for Utah. Right. So we're going to get the two best teams in the Western Conference Finals, right. as we predicted. And that's obviously going to be the real NBA Finals, honestly. You're, you're probably right. <laughs> unless unless
2: LeBron James turns super scion and just gets the rest of his team to wake up. But yeah, it's well he has and yeah. the team is playing in a game seven, so right. that doesn't really bode well. No, it does not. So yeah, we, we will touch on the East uh we'll have a Eastern Conference semifinals preview Monday. Uh we are we just obviously have to wait until Boston Milwaukee game seven and Cleveland Indiana game seven are done. And then we will have a Bye Felicia for the East. Uh later in the week we'll have the Bye Felicia in the West tomorrow. So check out our Twitter feed at the NBA pod you can keep up to date with all of our new episodes there you can also find us on iTunes so please subscribe download leave some reviews and love any feedback and you, you if you subscribe you'll get all of our new episodes delivered right to you when they go up uh, and then we're being hosted on the Almighty Baller podcast network so please check them out on Twitter at Almighty casts until next time I'm Brian topork and I was joined as always by Morton Jensen have a good one Mort.
0: You too, Brian. I look forward to talking to you in about five minutes. <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...